0: Look here, said Scrub, suddenly losing his temper, as people so easily do when they have been frightened. I don't believe the whole thing can be half as bad as you're making out. Any more than the beds in the wigwam were hard, or the wood was wet, I don't think Aslan would have ever sent us if there was so little chance as all that.
1: Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. And I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us. <clears throat> Just a reminder that today we are going to be talking about the sixth book in the series, The Silver Chair, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way, but if there's anything too, uh, if there's anything too far out there. But today, we're discussing The Silver Chair, Chapter 5, Puddle Glum.
0: Puddle Glum.
1: The best character and the worst character. Doesn't matter.
0: Man, he he is all those things. I mean, he is his name. It's uh he, he's a great, yeah. great addition to the team.
1: Man, love having this character. Uh, you know, g- we're excited to get more of him.
0: Yeah, yeah. We can we can talk more about it when we get past the summary, but uh there's Absolutely. there's so many reasons to be grateful for a character like Puddle Glum.
1: The gift of each giving, truly.
0: All right. Well, before we get into that, though, I will give us a summary of uh, what happens in this chapter. So Jill was very tired, can relate. Uh, And when she woke up from dozing off and the whole owl meeting thing, if you remember last chapter, she wasn't excited to find herself surrounded by owls and still on an adventure. But she agreed to get on Glimfeather's back so they could fly to their next stop. And they soared through the cold night air and she had to pinch herself just to stay awake, since she knew falling off an owl's back mid-flight probably wouldn't end well for her. They landed, and Glimfeather called out, saying, "'Wake up, Puddleglum. It's on the lion's business.'" For a while, there was no reply, but then a dim light came in uh, towards them, and a voice asking, "'What terrible thing has happened?' When the light of the large lantern reached them, all she could see of the person carrying it was all legs and arms." She sleepily followed it back in into some house where she was given something soft and warm to lie down on, and Jill fell asleep as the voice went on about how uncomfortable the bed likely was, how the house would probably collapse and everything likely go wrong, anyways. When the children woke up the next morning, Eustace informed Jill they were in the wigwam of a marsh wiggle. Yes. <laughs> wow, <that was laughs> and- Yeah, he didn't know what that meant either, and uh, since he hadn't been able to see it well last night. So Jill was clearly in a worse mood than Scrub, but they both got up, walked out of the hut, and found themselves on a great flat plain, which was cut into countless tiny islands by channels of water and reeds and rushes. So a marsh. They're in a marsh. Uh, they could see many wigwams, those are houses, uh, they could see many wigwams dotted about the landscape and not very close to one another because marsh wiggles are very private people. Uh, and they got their bearings, looked around for the marsh wiggle who was hosting them, and they found him sitting with his back to them, fishing about 50 yards away. They He had a long, thin face with sunken cheeks, a sharp nose, and a solemn expression. His hair was greenish-gray and looked more like flat reeds than normal hair. He greeted them, and he guessed they probably didn't get any sleep, but Jill said they had a lovely night. But the Marsh Wiggle assumed she was just making the best of a bad situation. He said Puddle Glum is his name, but it doesn't matter if they forget it. He had long legs and arms and webbed hands and feet, and he was dressed in loose, earth-colored clothes with a pointy hat. He was trying to catch some eels to make a stew for dinner, but told them he probably wouldn't catch any, uh, but they could go try to make a fire, and he gave them his tools, although everything he said continued to be pessimistic. The children found the wood and made a fire, and it went way easier than he had said, and then took a turn uh, having a wash in a nearby channel. After a minute, Puddleglum joined them with like two dozen eels and put a big pot on and lit a pipe that made a heavy black smoke that made Scrub cough. Uh, while they waited for the stew to cook, they discussed their plans for fighting finding Prince Rillian. Puddleglum said they probably wouldn't get very far this time of year, and it was probably too dangerous, but he was going with them. Uh, he then gave some pessimistic thoughts about the state of Narnia and the health of the king and Trumpkin and everything else. He said the rest of the people who looked for the prince started from the fountain where he disappeared, went north, and were never seen again. Jill said they had to start by finding a ruined city of giants, although Puddleglum corrected her saying, you can't start by finding something, you have to start by looking for something, which is just annoying. Uh, He told them they'd have to cross Eddinsmore, a region in the north, but he'd been as far in that direction as anyone, and he'd never seen a ruined city. The kids asked if there were people there and learned they're all giants. Puddleglum said how there was a chance that they were in danger, might get killed by the giants if they go into their land and cross whatever treaty line there is between Narnia and there, Uh, but you never know. And Eustace lashed out in anger, saying that there was no way any of this could possibly be as bad as he was saying, because Aslan wouldn't have sent them if it was impossible. Puddleglum didn't disagree and he didn't respond angrily. He said he "said Scrub was right to view it that way, but they'll probably only to watch their tempers since they have a hard journey ahead and a lot of these adventures end up with the crew infighting and knifing each other and they probably want to hold off that conclusion as long as possible. So Scrub said he felt that uh, if he felt that way, the Marsh Wiggles should just stay behind and let he and Pole go alone. Jill said Scrub shouldn't be so rude. But Puddle Glum assured her, don't worry, I'm still coming. Uh, All the other Marsh Wiggles are always telling him how he's too flighty and cheerful and optimistic and he needs something like a hard journey to sober him down a bit. A hopeless mission would be just the thing to steady a chap. Then he clasped the hands together and uh, said he should check on those eels that are cooking. The meal itself was delicious, although, of course, Glum wouldn't believe that they even liked it or weren't being actively poisoned by his cooking. Uh, Then they spent the rest of the day preparing for an early start the next morning. They packed their supplies and their weapons, and all three went to bed early in the wigwam.
1: Man, so many observations from this summary. I think the first one is, this might be the summary that had the most, like, dense population of funny words. You said wigwam and marsh wiggles a lot.
0: It is very hard not to trip over saying there was a marsh wiggle that lived in a wigwam.
1: Man, just saying wigwam multiple times in a row is is a tough feat, so good on you.
0: It makes like, me feel a little bit insane. It, like, I am clearly not speaking English when I say Wigwam, and it sounds like a British invasion <laughs> band.
1: Like, Wigwam sounds like the language of the Sims. Like, yeah, I was like, Wigwam, 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 Wigwam.
0: Yep. I can see the, the text box over your head.
1: It's, it's just great stuff overall here. Uh, but, man, yeah, so before we get to the best character in the series... Uh, or the worst, depending on, you know, your personality, uh, um,
0: moment really.
1: Yeah. It's so we wake up just with Jill does, uh, sleepy, uh, after the, uh, you know, the parliament of owls and everything from the previous chapter. And they decide, all right, we've got to fly down to the marsh wiggles. Um, what's that? Don't worry about it. Will you be, yeah, ex- will it be explained? Not really. really? Uh, And so they just take us uh, by flight. She decides probably best not to fall asleep while holding on to an owl hundreds of feet above the ground because you could fall off and die, which is an easy way to end the book quickly.
0: Yeah. These are the important observations that C.S. Lewis feels like we need to be let in on.
1: Indeed. Uh, Uh,
0: Fall off of an owl. That wouldn't end well. Nope. Not ideal.
1: Nope. Like... (laughs) But, no, let's take the whole first page to describe this.
0: Um, It's just funny because, like, Chekhov has his guns. C.S. Lewis doesn't have anything. Like, C.S. Lewis is so good at sprinkling in details that never come up again and don't matter at all.
1: Don't matter. He world builds for the sake of just saying, hey, this exists.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He he thought of it so it's on the page and... No one's allowed to edit C.S. Lewis. So
1: Agreed. Boom. And then eventually, after the flight, after they're exhausted and everything, they finally make their way to the marsh wiggles into the wigwam of Puddle Glum. Chase, we said this off pod. Puddle Glum is probably the most accurately named character in all of C.S. Lewis's writing.
0: Yeah. It's uh, what are two <laughs> bummers of a things? Puddles. You never want to step in a puddle. You never want a puddle to be splashed upon you. And glum is literally like a description of an emotion.
1: Yeah. You're it's, just feeling glum. You're a little melancholy, uh, you know.
0: It's uh yeah. He, a puddle of glum. A puddle of glum.
1: You, this makes me question, like, do you think all of the Marsh Wiggles are named sad things? Like, like Depression Hut or like like sad sack or you know something Um, like
0: that sad sack is the king of the marsh wiggles (laughs) (laughs) it's it's also funny that something with such a silly name would be so serious
1: (laughs) yeah that's very true uh i guess that's you gotta like you know temper it a little bit you can't just name him like you can't go uh, you know pilgrim's progress here and just name him depression uh and and just say hey kids sorry about you
0: yeah um, i this and i'll i'll probably mention some of this in my further up and further in but this is the most like allegorical character that you could have in this book
1: he is well it's this is why i like puddle glum so much is one he just adds some like cynical humor but two he is in large part the person that the like thematic messaging of the story will revolve around of hope and faith like you and we'll get to that obviously more later but like his cynical journey is the you know the journey that we all go on but before we get there chase our first introduction to him, he goes, Alzahoy. And this is how you know that Puddle of Lums are going to be a great ride. Because he goes, What is it? Is the king dead? Has an enemy landed in Narnia? Is it a flood or dragons? His immediate thought is just, yep, something terrible's happened.
0: Which I think the genius way that C.S. Lewis introduces this character is that is not. A crazy response to being woken up in the middle of the night. Like that, like he, you don't catch what's happening if you don't know it's coming until the next morning because, like, he's being realistic. Like, if someone came to my house at 2 a.m., sure, and was frantically ringing the doorbell, banging on the door, yelling my name, I would be like, "Oh, oh my gosh, what? What's, what's happening on. like did someone die did something happen like what why would you be calling me at such an ungodly hour yeah and puddle glum has every right to do that Absolutely. and at least he's like a little bit altruistic in no. the way he's like approaching it he's like oh did is there like this serious problem with the realm he's like thoughtful about like oh if the owls are coming so far as to me, like there must be something wrong with Narnia as a whole. Like this can't, like he's not selfish even in the way that he approaches it. But uh, yeah, it just turns out that's his personality.
1: Right. But the the great part about it is even though he is such a caricature, he is never described as such because C.S. Lewis is normal methodology here is to tell you exactly who he is or to tell you like oh you know on the flight over with the owls for glen feather to go well let me warn you the marsh wiggles are a notoriously depressed bunch who always you know think the worst they're they're very enneagram six over here um and but instead
0: Uh, marsh wiggles are enneagram six embodied
1: embodied hardcore sorry
0: to the majority of people who are listening who are probably in a gram sixes with a five wing or the other way around so that we just
1: say hey this is a safe place for you
0: no we make fun of you because we love you not because we hate you
1: no we we want you here right because we need the listeners Uh, Hope
0: that puddle glums complaining and fears makes you feel seen
1: yes (laughs) he's a representation uh but no, we though because they he doesn't just spell this out like he is prone to do, you get to discover this and go, Oh man, is the world in a dire state? Is something wait, everything's fine. Because yeah. the next thing, you know, after they land and they start getting situated, he's like, Well, probably won't sleep at all because it's gonna be cold, the floor is gonna be hard, thunderstorm or flood could roll in, wigwam could crash down upon you. You know, he's he's saying all these scenarios. And, like, your reaction is Jill's reaction, more or less, to go, well, man, I hope things are okay. Like, because why wouldn't you assume that this person is speaking, you know, just realistically? And then they wake up, and it's like, oh, actually, like, it was dry and warm and really comfortable, and, like, everything's great. And it still doesn't spell out that he was cynical. It's like, this is great writing, C.S. Lewis
0: and it's interesting to to have a character like this in a children's story because yeah. like going from like honestly this very adult way of approaching the world to sure. kids tend to be like like high highs low lows like if it's a bad time like there's going to be a fit over it but you get over it and move on and get back to the fun and the adventure and like the reason we're in this story is because it's full of like like kind of magical, fun, exciting things. And to have this very like adult, like basically a walking anxiety attack. Yeah. Like,
1: well like this is- part of
0: the story, it introduces kids in a really interesting way to this way of being in a way that is like. If, if part of the goal of a children's book in general is to instruct kids on how to understand how the world works, to see M- Mr. Complain-y Mc- Complainerson over right. here like as a source of annoyance and frustration, that is teaching kids, hey, even if that's how you feel, maybe that's not how you should project things into the world.
1: Agreed. This is this is one of the better examples of like call it like the Harry Potter structure of allowing your readers to grow with your novels uh, of going like hey like he's done this a little bit and especially if you start looking chronologically of when the books were written like Magician's Nephew introduces some pretty dark themes and yeah uh, you know you you get to in a horse and his boy you introduced to slavery and you know all these things pretty heavily Uh, but in terms of this is what you can experience in your real world life like depression anxiety like not knowing what to do with your sadness and and with your like thoughts that are dark this is a this is a heavy book like this is like Silver Chair really addresses a lot of like hopelessness and, you know, doubting your faith or, you know, things like that, which.
0: Especially when we get to the later chapters.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And so I like that he is introducing this theme here in a way that's subtle by just being like, here's this character. He's really goofy looking, he's all legs and arms. Like his body's the size of a dwarf, but his legs and arms make him the you know size of a human. And he kind of looks like a like a marsh themed scarecrow. Like it's like that's goofy. But he's super depressed and like very cynical and always sees the worst outcome. But in a funny and in and like, like he's never ruled by depression. He just is like, this is probably what's gonna happen. Let's keep going. And yeah. which they is an important get defeated
0: by it. Right. But the impact that he has on the people around him is probably more instructive than his internal reaction to it. Because from what we can tell, this is the temperament of this species. Yeah. Which is I are they are they just British? I think I think they might just be British, they might just be British, and the marsh Wiggles are just the British people,
1: but all this to say we big fan of Puddle Glum and what he's gonna do in this book, and so as we move forward, the children you know decide to go to sleep, they get washed up, start eating some you know little breakfast things, and they're wondering where the the marsh wiggle has gone, uh, and they you know run into him. And they, you know, make their official introductions. Uh, <clears throat> and again, he's like, good morning. Though I don't say good because, you know, it's probably going to rain or snow or fog or thunder. Um, and he's like, you probably didn't get any sleep. And they're like, man, we actually had a great night. And he's like, ah, you're making the best of a bad job. I appreciate you. Look at you, you optimists. Uh, and it's just like, it's fun, you know. Uh, but officially get introduced to Puddle Glum. And he, you know, is trying to catch some 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 dinner for him, right? He's catching some eels. Uh and he's like, probably won't catch any.
0: Spoiler they alert. Eat One meal today. Yeah.
1: I guess they had breakfast.
0: Like, uh, this is one of the which there's a lot of days like this in a Narnia book. But sure. this is one of those days where the entire day is preparing a meal that they eat and then immediately go to bed after.
1: Yeah, this is...
0: I assume by dinner they mean lunch.
1: Right. But well, maybe. You never know. But... Say separate. Uh, it's, you know... It, it, they, they are preparing this meal, right? And this is, like, like... In terms of what actually happens, that, like you said, that's basically all that happens in this chapter is they wake up, they eat some breakfast and get washed up. They go meet Puddle Glum and then they start preparing dinner by catching the eels. And then they make a fire and they cook the eels and then they go to sleep. But in the midst of that, you have to learn the character of Puddle Glum. And he also gets some like plot movement forward of like, Hey, where are we going? Yeah, And you just do it in a really funny, cynical way because most of the times when we get our like, you know, Hey, welcome to Narnia. This is our adventure. You're landing on the Dawn Treader, and you're going, We're going to find the like lost lords of of you know whatever. And uh, or hey, you know, we have to go and uh like defeat the white witch. And you know, Aslan's been spotted. Ooh, this is the first time that you get it of being like, hey, it's not looking great. Like, and it's kind of funny that like. This is the way that it's presented.
0: Yeah. Because they, I like the know. acknowledgement that, you know, adventures kind of suck, right? <laughs> this is going to be a bad time. We might survive long enough to make it back without even accomplishing our uh, goal. But, yeah, we'll see how it goes.
1: cuz the first time that they're like after talking through the preparation of dinner and whether or not they're going to like start a fire and burn everything down or even be able to start a fire at all they uh you know they catch dozens of of eels and start cooking them and everything um they go can you help us to find prince rillian and he basically is like i don't it might be really hard to get up there to find this place that no one's ever found. And everyone who's gone has died or like has never come back. And, you know uh, it's, you know, winter's coming and it's going to be an early winter at that, Uh, you know, with enemies, mountains, rivers to cross, losing our way, next to nothing to eat, sore feet. You know, we might not even notice the weather and we may not get far enough to do any good. And we may not get far enough to get back in a hurry. Right. And it's basically just like, Hey,
0: this might suck a lot. Yep. And Which, like, that's the mixed bag of of cynicism, of the, like, problem-plotting, like, personality. Yeah. Of, like, all that stuff is, like, honestly, these are things that characters and stories never think about in advance. Sure. That should be thought about. And considering... Will actually give them a like leg up in the broad scheme of things. But totally. It's uh, not for sure. Like the
1: Enneagram Six is the over, reason that, yeah, that yeah. you have an umbrella when it rains. But they're also the ones that, if left unchecked, will make sure that you don't leave the house.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, you need you need optimism and hope to temper that. Like, Correct. Absolutely. If left unbound, it'll be bad.
1: Yep. But they, you know, Jill and Scrub noticed a word he was using in the midst of his discussion on if he can help them, and he kept using the word "we." We are going to do this. We are going to make our way, and that's a little disheartening for our crew At because least they the go team player because they're going. Oh no, we are now stuck with Puddle Glum because the most depressed person we've ever met like this is going to make this journey way more difficult than it was going to be originally and he's like so they're like wait you're coming with us he's like yeah absolutely and we were talking about this uh chase and i both sub, like you know uh, like just like apart from each other made some some lord of the rings characterizations here but two very different characters so uh, Chase, you want to start with that real quick?
0: Oh, well, yeah. I compared him to like an anti-Frodo or like an inverted, like, so the other Marsh Wiggles are constantly telling Puddle Glum how he's just too cheerful and too hopeful. And he has his head in the clouds and life can't be all eel pies, Kel. Uh, he just so a journey like this might be just the thing to uh, bring him down to earth by kicking him in the butt a little bit. And it, uh, it just reminded me of like the Shire and the hobbits and how all of the hobbits are kind of like, Oh, who would ever want to go on an adventure? Like just do your job, live your life, work the, work the soil. Like, Get some should be weed. content where you're at and like, Oh, those crazy Baggins over there and bags and like, they are adventurers and want more in life. And, Ugh. and just this kind of like, it was just a funny kind of comparison to me, yeah. like, man, this is a, like, what if, what if someone who was in kind of the, the Frodo Luke Skywalker, Position was a real big downer.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, very true. uh And the the comparison I made was like he. I went kind of the nature route, and you know, we come upon the ints and we start talking to Treebeard in Lord of the Rings, and he describes like you know, when I was in my youth, I used to be real hasty, taking hours and hours to make decisions, and you know, this is kind of what that reminded me of, where it's like all the Ents are so slow in doing everything. And they're so like very particular and very much like, ah, uh-huh, we don't, you know, they don't like to make decisions too quickly. Uh, and like hastiness for them is like, man, it took you several hours to like finish a thought, like slow down Treebeard, beard. Uh, and that's kind of what reminded me of this, where it's like, he's so cynical and they're all just like, oh God, this optimist over here, uh, but Chase, as we, you know, learn more and more about our, our sweet little Marsh wriggle, we, uh, we learn from Jill and he, you know, Jill tells him, hey, we like we're looking for uh, the ruined city of giants. And technically, Chase, when I say looking for the lost city, uh, the ruined city of the giants, technically, we need to find it, right? That's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find it.
0: Unless no. you're we we can't find it without looking for it kel
1: this is this is one of those statements from petal globe where you're just like okay dude like
0: yeah it's a un- full well actually uh, this um, dude- actually we're going to need to
1: look for the lost city before we
0: find it Man, this so, is that dude in the meeting who just really wants you to know that they think they're smarter than you
1: and it's funny cuz like i don't Think that that's what he's intending. I think he's just, that's just kind of how he is. Where he's like, well, because like, I think this just goes back to his cynicism more. Yeah, I don't think
0: he's trying to be rude here. I think he, in his mind, is unable to accept the idea of like assuming that it'll work out. out. Like, oh, we'll never find it. Like, the best you can hope for is looking for it. Right. Because even when
1: she says, well, yeah, that's what I meant. And when we found it, it's like, oh, yeah, sure. When? Yeah. You know, yeah. air quotes. When? And, like, he, they, they begin just trying to ask questions and get in. It's like, does anyone know where it is? And it's like, I don't know anyone. Like, never heard of a ruined city, uh, you know. No uh, one's ever like, been
0: further than me, and I haven't ever seen anything.
1: Right. And so it's like, well, okay. He's um, like, well, we should probably start this direction because everyone else, you know, has gone through, started at the fountain and then gone north, but they've never returned. So probably don't want to go the same way that they went. So we should probably go this way and then go northward. And this, uh, you know, city called Ettinsmore, you know, something like that. Um, and they're like, okay, cool. Like, let's go there. And then, you know, we'll have to cross this, uh, cross the river Shribble, which is a weird name. Um and uses is like, yeah, but we could ford it. Like we can just cross it, right? Cause he's like, well, and then Pottle Glum's like, yeah, I mean, that's true. I guess. You know, we could ford it. You know, it's been done before. And then they begin to think about the people, which this is a, a confusing point to me, Chase, because they they start asking about the people that live there. And like they're like, hey, we could probably just ask them if they've seen any, you know, ruins or whatever, like the directions. It's like yeah, yeah, you you will meet people, and they're like, what kind of people? Uh And
0: which like, I mean, it's a fair question given that they're in Narnia. I don't sure. know that.
1: But the instructions, because so what happens is they're like, what well, what kind of people are they? And he's like, I don't know, like I don't know if you like their way or they won't. And he's taking it very like literal. He's and they're like, no 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 like. Are they humans? Are they animals? Are they dwarfs? Are they other strange creatures? Which, like, feels like this is bordering on the line of offensive here.
0: Yeah, Puddleglum assumes that she's not trying to be racist, but she is...
1: Which is, you know, good for him. For all of his cynicism, doesn't assume racism, but whatever. (laughs) Um, And he goes, oh, I thought you knew the people there are giants, which you would assume, Chase... In the ruined city of giants, that the people there you're gonna meet are giants.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe the hope is that if the city of giants is ruined, then that must mean that there's no more giants left, or no, this is uh this is not the north in Game of Thrones. There are plenty of giants around, they're just hanging out. Right.
1: They're chilling. And they get into this conversation being like, wait, I thought that Caspian told me that, you know, the Giants had been dealt with and they paid tribute. And Paul's like, yeah, more or less. But that's as long as we don't cross over into their territory. Um, once that happens, you know, we know we, we never know what could happen. And this is where Eustace kind of loses it because he's scared and he's like, I'm tired of Giants. I'm tired of dealing with this guy. And he goes, I don't believe the whole thing can be half as bad as you're making out, any more than the beds in the wigwam were hard or the wood was wet. I don't think Aslan would have ever sent us here if there was so little chance as all that. This is like, he's getting tired with the cynical nature yeah, of Puddle who's not intending to be like, I think this is just how he is. You know, he's not trying to be like a Debbie Downer or, yeah. or to discourage them because his response is not to like, argue against him it's not to get angry as well it's that's the spirit Eustace don't let cynical thoughts enter your mind like we we've gotta you know put a good face on and he thinks like in his mind he's like man I'm so optimistic like I'm going on this adventure in spite of all these things and like for Eustace yeah. and Jill they're like this guy is so cynical it's driving us bonkers
0: Which... I think that is the point that's worth making. Like, there, I'm trying to piece this together in the moment. Like the idea that his cynicism doesn't keep him from action. I guess, absolutely, yeah, is and a good and helpful thing. Like, right. that's a that's worth noting.
1: He has um, optimism in his own way, despite. Yeah the things that he sees as all these legitimate reasons to not go or to not do something. Um, And so he still moves forward. It's just funny when he's presenting it to Eustace and being like, Hey, that away we probably shouldn't lose our temper though. Eustace, because that's a good way to, you know, get us all at each other's throats. And Eustace is like, Oh my God. Like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which it's such a, like, no one wants to be corrected in a moment, like yeah. in a moment, but also like the kind of like passive aggressive, or like we don't want to lose our temper though. Like yeah. that's a, I can't imagine not being so much more upset when someone responds to me being upset with, but you don't have to get so upset about it.
1: That's the like, when someone tells you to calm down, yeah, that's never going to help. That it will always makes... make me. I'm going to calm up because of this. Like, uh, but they so they're like, man, well, maybe you shouldn't go. And this is where he, you know, lets us know that he's actually the most optimistic of the Marsh Wiggles, uh, and that you know this is this is what he needs to to really like bring him back down to earth, uh, and that we kind of, like, end the chapter with just, like, hey, we're going to, you know, finish this meal that, like, oh, man, I hope it's not poisonous. And it turns out it's delicious and amazing. And, you know, it's one of the best meals they've ever had, says I Cal mean, and Chase it, every other chapter.
0: I'm, I mean, every meal is the best meal they've ever had. I don't think they but went that far this time around. They didn't say or the just, best
1: meal they've ever had, but they did it say it really was good. delicious. And they had two large helpings each. Um, Which is how they they start preparing for the journey, um, making sure that they've got, you know, all like food to get. And they've got a box. They've got some weaponry. glum and Eustace have swords. And, you know, Jill has a knife. Um, and, you know, she was about to be butthurt about that. But that was the exact kind of thing that he was like, hey, we should fight about this because then we'll have, you know, we'll be at each other's throats with weaponry. Yeah. Uh,
0: which that part was funny to me. They were essentially like they were about to start arguing about. Her having a knife and and him having a sword. And they were about to start like sparring, which I think is sparring with words. I don't think they were going to spar with a sword and a knife. That wouldn't end well. Uh, no. And then gum's like, ah, there you are. I thought as much. That's what usually happens on adventures. And then they're like, we cannot let this dude be right.
1: <laughs> and so they end their conflict out of pure stubbornness, which I appreciate. I have done many similar things where I'm like, nope.
0: Oh sure. Yeah. It's uh which like Puddle Glum is being realistic about some of these things. Like sure. he goes too far into the realm of like like beyond realism. Like a
1: cynical is not always realistic.
0: Yeah. Like there there is a line in there because like as a as a realist myself, but like a hopeful realist, like I'm not, and I'm not a pessimist by any means. I think we can accomplish anything. I just want to be realistic about the obstacles we're going to have to cross to get there. Totally. Like, there is a line you get to where you're just being like, like a Don't bummer be a stick in the for the sake of like being a bummer. Like
1: totally. I'm
0: and- not trying to bring people down. He's trying to say like, Oh, yeah. Fighting be- happens on adventures. I thought that would happen, and yeah. he's ready for it.
1: And now he's like, sweet, now we can keep moving forward because we, you know, trudged through this. Um, and I like, though I don't like how the chapter ends because it's, again, it's just another, like, C.S. Lewis chapter ending where it's like, this is a cliffhanger, but it's not really a cliffhanger. Not Like, all. it's just people going to sleep. and But he's like, the one time that you know puddle glum's like cynical nature is true is like you probably won't sleep well tonight is true not because of any of the things that he thinks where it's like it's not because it's too cold or wet or uncomfortable it's because puddle glum snores like a lion uh and it's like oh that's kind of funny but
0: yeah yeah joe had uh dreams of waterfalls and being on freight trains
1: yep (laughs) so it's i was like that's kind of a nice little like twist on the like uh, you know everything could go wrong and the thing that happens is not the thing that they thought uh where it's like puddle glum you're actually what was (laughs) like causing the distress here but chase do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in i think i'm good I, so I'm going to start us off. And uh, because I don't have a great synonym for this, or a great, you know, verbiage to use here, we're going to call this the Eeyore archetype. Uh, and what I mean by that is, particularly in a lot of like kids shows or stories or, you know, fiction, there's children's literature, you know, things like that. Uh, you have these characters that are the pessimist inside of this magical, hopeful world uh, that serve the purpose to kind of provide contrast. So it makes the rest of the world look more magical, but also so that when their cynicism is overcome, that you get more hope in spite of the cynicism so this is the eeyore character obviously from winnie the pooh where everything is awful oh i'm probably gonna stub my toe and oh my tail is only hung on by one nail it's probably gonna fall off oh just you know woe is me eeyore right um oh no bother right that's you know the eeyore you know catchphrase kind of thing where it's just everything's miserable but then you get characters like Winnie the Pooh and Tigger and Piglet, who are all happy and bouncy and lovable and joyful. And they're, you know, these comforts, Christopher Robin, right? You look at Squidward in SpongeBob. He's the, you know, classic, like, like everything's terrible in the midst of this, you know, zany, bonkers world of Bikini Bottom with SpongeBob and Patrick and the rest, right? You have uh, Oscar the Grouch. In you know Sesame Street, where all the characters are having fun and they're singing songs and teaching kids about math and numbers and letters and things, and Oscar the Grouch is literally living in a trash can. Uh, someone get this guy a home, please. This is ridiculous. Uh, he's it's been you know decades of him living in a trash can. Like, is no one willing to help this dude out? I digress. Uh, but you have all these characters and now add puddle glum to the list who serve the purpose of going it like their cynicism makes the rest of the world seem more exciting and joyful because you see what that looks like. And you go, I don't like that. I like this. And I like the magic and the hope and the, you know, colors and the freedom, and you know, all the things that are associated here. And then when those characters inevitably have their moment of, hey, this isn't that bad. Actually, things are great. It makes everything feel even greater. And so this is the Eeyore archetype and why we love Glum, even though he's such a glum.
0: Such a puddle glum. And the government's never going to build any affordable housing for Oscar to get out of that trash can. Uh, but I digress. Um, so I was going to talk about cynicism more more broadly. Uh, and kind of to start... Like, by defining cynicism, like, cynicism is an expectation that the outcome will be negative. Like, it's, uh, like, as opposed to, well, I don't even know, I don't know quite where the line between cynicism and pessimism is. I think there is a line there. Like, I think pessimism is, uh, is a little bit darker than cynicism, but, like, what we see here with puddle glum is this just ongoing obsessive uh expectation that things will turn out worse than they could and like usually in stories there's a moment of cynicism like usually that's part of the story arc of a character that they're riding high they're trying to push through accomplish the task finish the mission And they have this moment of darkness, this dark night of the soul, this, this part where they just come to the end of themselves and don't think they can make it. And cynicism is a problem to be overcome as part of the story. That's typically how you see it in adventure literature and fantasy literature is, is this kind of moment, not... A thing that's carried with you, but uh, the reality of normal life tends to be that it's more of a mixed bag. Most people have a small voice of cynicism in them, and the battle is not overcoming a moment of cynicism. It's learning to listen to a voice of hope over the course of your life rather than a voice of cynicism over the course of your life. Here, cynicism is embodied as a character that goes with you which is really interesting it's very like truly allegorical in the sense like i don't know i i would compare it to uh to the movie inside out and yeah. the character of sadness that goes along with the character of joy and part of the value of sadness that they learn in the movie that is this big pivotal moment like Really, the the climax of the movie is accepting that sadness has a place to play in life. That there is a value to sadness. That sadness is a good thing in certain circumstances. It can't be the overarching ruling thing because that becomes depression. But it is a real emotion that needs to be engaged with in appropriate circumstances. And I think we'll see something similar as we travel with puddle glum that that voice of anxiety is a part of like our personalities of our character of our minds that is intended to be a tool like the ability to see that something bad is coming is a valuable tool that helps people survive the problem is when that becomes the only thing they can see and they can't actually operate in hope. And if the story arc of this book is a journey of being willing to choose hope over the darkness, even when the darkness seems like it's one, which is going to be spoiler alert, the big message of this book, having that as a character and an allegorical trait that goes with you and it's part of the team, rather than an enemy, is a really interesting piece of allegory that C.S. Lewis brings in. Uh, we stand Puddle Glum. We hope that he gets treated nicely as he brings the team down and hopefully helps them figure stuff out. Uh, it'll be a fun source of tension throughout this book.
1: Absolutely. Well, Chase, I would tell our listeners that you know the best thing they can do for the podcast is to go rate and review it or you know find it anywhere they could find podcasts but they probably wouldn't be able to find it even though it's very easily findable you know you just search the chronicles of podcast but you probably forget the name you know they could go to instagram and type at the chronicles of podcast in there and you know follow us there and see when we're posting next but you know wi-fi is probably going to go out and you know instagram is going to crash so that's tough you know i would say they could leave a comment and you know a five-star rating but you know probably gonna end up clicking zero stars because they get confused or you know yeah it's it's it, all those things could happen so it's best to just you know do whatever you can uh, maybe your phone gets you know swooped up by a by now it's probably what's gonna happen but chase I you know hopefully I'll see you next week probably won't because of marauders you know giants uh just crazy things could happen
0: probably um, will I like it I like the uh, I like the phrase "Eor archetype
1: I don't know what else to call it because it's like generally when I do these like archetype ones it makes sense where it's like the like the the old like wizard or the you know whatever this one it's like how do you Shorten the the depressed guy in an optimistic world.